Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week we're going to cover the K-Box RDL, another staple with the Eccentric K-Box. Make sure that you're able to get the full extension with the straps. You may need it to go a little bit longer than you would initially guess. And from there, I really like to make sure that the middle of my foot is around right where the gap where the strap goes through so that we can make sure that the tether goes straight up and down. From that point, give the wheel a spin, push your hips back, your shoulders locked in, and really work back into those hips. This is a great alternative to using the barbell or a dumbbell for the RDL. Give it a try. It's one your athletes are sure to love. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat. Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Zach, thank you so much for spending the time with us today, bud. I appreciate, I appreciate you having me on, Jay. It's, uh, it's a big honor to be on here. I know I grew up listening to this, uh, coming up through the profession as an intern all the way up to where I'm at now, thankfully. So I'm just uh, really happy to have me on and you want to listen to what I have to say because uh, a lot of people don't, so I, hopefully they do. <laughs> One, thanks for dating me coming up you know, through the profession when I was young because we all were young at one point. But nah, man, before we get too far into this, man, let, let, let's let everybody know, you know, who Zach is, where you are, and how you got to where you are today. So I'm the associate head strength coach at Florida Atlantic University with football. Um, previously, I've been at Colorado State. I've been at Louisiana Monroe. Uh, I've been at University of Nevada, Ohio State, uh, Marshall. And then I originally started there. I played at Marshall University. Uh, so that's kind of where I got my start. I got and fell into the profession. I'm originally from West Virginia. Uh, so that's kind of how I fell into it. I had some pretty good strength coaches there, and I started interning early on while I was playing there and just kind of fell into the profession. I've been doing this stuff for a while, um, probably a little bit longer, and I got really lucky and got a fast, kind of a fast-track career because of my intern experience kind of playing early on uh, while I was doing it and just got really lucky to be around some good people and good names and kind of been really fortunate and really lucky and be in the right spot at the right time. Yeah, but even with that, there's been a lot of things when it comes to growth and evaluation and developing some unique things that you've been able to do through your multiple stops. And one thing that a lot of people reach out to you about is, you know, when we're looking at things when it comes to, you know, return to sport and, and getting people back after, you know, the unfortunate things that happen, especially the game of football uh, that right now are probably being pointed out a little bit too much on social media um, when it comes to injuries. Let's, first of all, I think what, what's important to start with 
is how did that become something that you really got intertwined in? Because I think that it's something that a lot of us like to talk about, but we don't necessarily get as deep in the weeds as we should. Yeah. Um, when it comes to that, I mean, for me, I mean, my biggest start, like in return to sport, return to competition, return to play, however you want to label it for me. Uh, when I was playing, I was hurt a ton. I had four or five surgeries in my career. So I was always rehabbing, always spending time with my trainers and my PTs and my strength coaches way more time in strength, which probably wasn't why I wasn't very good. And I put a put a whistle and stopped washing my hands pretty early. Uh, but that's how I kind of got started into it. And I was always starting asking questions, trying to figure stuff out. And then even early on as an intern for me, I was always kind of getting handed, hey, go do this. Hey, uh, go take him and go do this. And very early on, I started working on uh, working with kids one on one, working with like rehab kids and modifying kids. And, and everybody does at some point. And everywhere I kind of go, I got I got a little bit further along down the line. I got a little more advanced, a little more advanced, got a little more progressions into it. And then eventually. Um, of how I really kind of got started in the weeds is I used to help our, our DPT at Ohio State with it a lot. And I used to help one of our, when I was a professional intern there, I uh, used to help one of our assistants a lot with one of those kids and train a lot of kids. Like I remember uh, working with like Joe Burrow a lot, like when he broke his hand before he transferred and he broke his hand and having to do like man, like lap pull down manuals with a single arm man, like stuff like that. And eventually got kind of the program, kind of got my own ideas. And then eventually from there it was more of hey like you're going to be the return to play guy at other places and you know it's kind of trial by fire you kind of figure it out and then and it's trial by fire and you kind of figure out you're like hey like i think this is going to work you try it like and you try to keep it as close as you can to what the actual team is doing because that's what you're trying to return them to whether it's training or competition but for you in that aspect the biggest thing i've learned for me is return to play has been the biggest benefit to my evolution in my career because it's forced me to learn it's forced me to ask questions it's forced me to dive deeper into specific topics and also broaden my horizons and not get into a specific like single site like niche or whatever to where i have to be able to answer a lot of questions in a lot of different areas and every every day every year there's new there's new problems every athlete is different and you start thinking, and you start thinking about that, uh, and how how that specific athlete's gonna respond, and it kind of gives you a lot of tools in your tool belt to kind of solve different problems as they come. And as you know, every time you get a new athlete, there's usually a new problem. Like no, in, even though one injury may be the same, like how they present themselves with each athlete, a lot of times is different. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think that even more so when you look at those different levels, the different types of athlete, you know, at, at the different. I mean, like you know. There's, there's not a lot of teams that are going to, I mean, especially that locker room that you had that year at Ohio State. I mean, good grief. To be able to sit in one of those quarterback meetings, I mean, holy mackerel. Um, like, people forget about, like, the four that they had there. Like, they were, the two red shirts were <laughs> studs other places. Too, yeah, I right? was, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really lucky to be allowed in that building every day in any capacity. I wasn't even feel sweeping the floors. I was really lucky. And I, I, owe my, I owe my career a lot to, to that place in itself in terms of kind of as a jump pad learning and kind of going forth but absolutely and every 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 athlete every situation every school is going to present its present different issues present different issues with the kids because again you talk about genetic excuse me genetic potential of the kids you know every kid's going to be a high responder low responder they might be somewhere in between and what they're going to do their needs are going to be different so again like some kids like you just need hey get them the game day get them a saturday get them feeling good and other kids like it's a complete rebuild like you have to like 
you get a kid who comes in as a freshman with a torn ACL and then there from there, like you have to completely like transform this kid, not just rehab him, but you're taking him from point A to point all the way to point Z. And so every kid is different. Like you just said, like it really depends on the genetic potential of the kid and where they're at and what they've done. And they're kind of like just their background as an athlete. Yeah. And I think though, that what's really neat nowadays is, you know, back before I was graybeard, you know, when I was just, bearded um you know it was basically just sitting there and talking and trying to figure things out and you know girth measurements and maybe some vertical jumps and maybe some times but now you're able to really dive deeper into actual metrics and not just have an understanding of how they do x y or z but like how you can do better to help them in that rehab process yeah, absolutely. Um, that's and that's probably the biggest change I've made in my personal kind of thought process and with return with return to play in the last two years or so is how can we put an objective data into return to play versus just simply using the, like coaches eye tests as I was talking early on and kind of like what do you see again that's important that's important too but you look at okay what's their one rep max the old school thinking of like what's their 10 yard time their fly 10 time like, or what's it, how's it compared to the position group, the team averages, pre and post surgery, all those different things. Like, those are simple. But now when you start looking at, like, GPS metrics using catapult, using polar, and you're matching the demands of the sport, okay, are, where are they at in their training? What does a training session in the team setting look like? What are the average high-speed yards on, on an Excel day or max velocity day? Or if your staff does a ton of RSA, like, how do I replicate the demands of that sport, that competition, that training setting? And how do I prepare the athlete to withstand that? Because if you're doing return to play correctly, the athlete should return to the team setting, to competition, to training in a better place than where they were previously before the injury, if you do it correctly. Um, and even now, like the biggest, for me, like the biggest training, like training changes I've made in terms of objective data, again, is matching player load, high speed running, total yardage, output in terms of GPS to make sure they're able to withstand the capacity of training and practice. And then also double checking different stages of training with force plate data, okay? And having subset metrics for each stage of training, whether it's early, early, early stage, mid stage, late stage, okay, what are our progressions? Okay, whether it's single limb, single limb isometric testing to test imbalances, whether it's neuromuscular neuromuscular te testing with the with the uh, force deck, understanding eccentric duration, eccentric force uh, rate of force fill with a counter movement jump, or a 10-5 rebound jump, or a depth jump, or what, however you want to do it, or I really got into the ash test with uh, my one of my labrum kids this summer, and being able to, okay, and now we're able to affect measure him throughout the training process okay what is he lacking and what ang arm angle is he lacking and how are we changing that and then from there okay now he's back into training okay let's do every two three weeks every three weeks let's do a checkup with him on season let's see how he's handling practice let's see how that shoulder stabilizes. do we need to make modifications post return to play to keep him fresh to keep him healthy to keep stability in that shoulder um especially in the contact position of being an offensive lineman that what he is and the demands of the sport and position especially in a game like football it's there's so many different factors that you deal with on a daily basis but those are probably the biggest things i've made differently and i've tried to answer those questions myself after talking with other people um and i think if you can do those two if you can do those things, you you could put together a way better return to play and objective markers for your staff, your sports staff, and your sports medicine staff, where you create that holistic overview for the athlete, which is the optimal goal. Yes. And I think one thing that you brought up there that is another spot that a lot of people tend to, at best, gloss over, and probably more realistically, they just 
skip is the fact that it doesn't end right like oh we're back we get you back you can play and you're done there's a lot more to it after they put you know they take the red jersey off and they're back at it you know full activity oh absolutely uh i mean there's guys there's guys who are need modifications uh especially like lumbar kids i find like again like no lumbar no lumbar return to play kid is exactly the same everyone's gonna respond different specific low back pain is gonna be different um whether you know i talk to alvin mule all the time about like olympic lifting big guys because if you have to olympic lift them for they get them back in the sport whether you like them or don't like them you have to prepare them for the training session you do okay so what are the differences based on limb length and things things like that so even if it's in training or practice like there's always going to be okay what is this kid going to need modifications the rest of his career to keep him healthy and curate optimal positions for this kid for performance but even then if he doesn't, when he gets back, okay, what happens if he ends up rolling his ankle and he's a low back kid? Well, if he rolls his ankle, he's going to, he's going to end up having gait compensations. And what happens if that affects his low back? It affects the previous injury we just fixed. And now we have to start doing gait repatterning and motor patterning and different things like that. Or again, like it was just talking about the labrum kid. Uh, what happens if he doesn't stay on top of his low back or stay up on his upper back work? What if he becomes trap dominant? His, his serratus stops working. His, his, rumbo, his uh, rhomboids, things like low traps start activating, things like that. And he starts getting shoulder issues down the line. So, like, you have to keep an eye on these kids, too. And you have to understand the mechanisms of their specific injuries and what they are and uh, understand the mechanisms of the injury itself. And, okay, what is this kid going to do? need down the line because again some of these kids it never changes like it never changes in their knees and they're going to need things down the line so it's not just how you wash your hands of it you wipe your hands of it and you're done with it a lot of these kids are going to need you too and i think the other piece of it too is like you just kind of mentioned of taking a red jersey off is people often neglect the psychological fact of return to play with these kids because the amount of time amount of times you spend the amount of time you spend with these kids in the office like especially when they get close to return to sport and return to play and you're kind of giving finding them finding finding their confidence with them helping convincing them that hey you're ready to do this and showing them and giving them the confidence to return to play because it's different especially when you have kids that are um ACLs or ACL, LCL, these major knee reconstruction, things like that, they spend a, a more than a year out of competition. They almost forget how to play the game because they lose they lose that sense of feel because it's been so long since they've been in that rhythm of it. So I think that's the biggest missing piece that, again, when you talk about taking the red jersey off, I think that's the biggest piece, the psychological piece you're always working with these kids on. No, totally. But I think that one thing that could help with that is the fact that you, going back to, you know, your discussions with Coach Vermeil, like people love to sit here and talk about, because it's cool now to talk about reverse engineering the sport. And we talk about, what we need to, oh yeah, it's super sexy right now. But it's like, we reverse engineer the sport and this is what we do. Well, but kind of like when we were talking about coming back from COVID, if we have even come back from it yet, I mean, who the hell knows where we are right now. <laughs> but when you look at these things, people are like, oh, well, you have to be able to do X, Y, and Z to do the sports. We need to do that. Well, you need to prepare yourself to prepare yourself. And I think that that's something that like for a long time, us old heads, like that's all we used to talk about, right? Like everything is GPP, blah, 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 blah. You know, but like, that general stuff needs to build into the stuff that allows them to do the stuff that helps them to be better at the sport. And I think that's super important, especially in the situation that we're talking about today. Absolutely. Uh, 
look at when you look at it again i would i would agree that yeah our our nature the profession what we do for the kids yes everything is in general but when you talk about like specific preparation for the kids and things like that like it could be as simple as exercise progression velocity of movement things like that limb lengths different things like that angles of positions you're training them and that this is all going to be this all could become specific and however you deem it based on the specific kid and um so when you when you look at it that way, for me, that's kind of how I look at it. Uh, I think it's all specific to the specific to that individual kid uh, in terms of what's specific, what's SPP, what's GPP. Because again, you could argue everything we do is general in nature, but there's also a specific preparatory process to that. I would agree with both sides of it. But again, like especially in return to play, like I again would say that it's individual to the kid. But first, you have to address what the injury, what the injury is. How am I, how am I going to progress the injury, and how do I get them close to the sport? What the demands of the sport? Yes, that is true. But it doesn't have to be a hang clean, power clean, snatch, back squat, box squat, whatever, whatever you think you do. We're just training them to achieve a stimulus to drive performance. How we get that doesn't matter, whether it's a trap bar, trap bar jump or med ball tosses. Like I've had low back kids who, in, in our program here, we love Olympic lifting. We we sprint, we jump, we throw med balls. And the reality of it is, is some of these kids, like I have a low back kid now who will never Olympic lift again. He'll never pull a bar off the floor because that gives him specific low back pain. But the reality is he front squats, he does weighted box jumps, he does med ball throws, he sprints and he does jump and he does elastic work. What else does he need? He's still getting the stimulus stimulus he needs. He's still getting explosive strength, reactive strength, elastic strength, maximal strength, all these different pieces. Just because there's a different means to the end doesn't mean it's wrong. And I think that's where a lot of people lose the scope of return to play and the training in itself. We can't be married to exercises or specific ways of getting there, but we have to be married to the results of the performance. I think that what you just said right there is, is extremely valuable, right? And that is the fact that at the end of the day, it's not the means that matters, it's the stimulus that matters because that's what drives the adaptation. And I think that that connects directly into the last part of the return to play and that's the psychological aspect because if they understand that and they see how these connections and this progress has been made, you would hope at least that they have more confidence going into the situation. Absolutely. Um, and when you think about that, I know it's something I uh, talk about Rob Penarello all the time is the number one factor for a lack of return to play or of where it falls through is a kid's fear of loading. Now, it doesn't mean you have to load the bar up all the time and they have to squat heavy, pull heavy, all these different things. No. But do they do they feel comfortable accepting force, transferring force, where it's putting weight on the bar, maximal sprinting? Do they feel competent and confident in those in those avenues and those events? Because if they don't, then the, the idea of getting them back in the sport and getting them back into competition is is pointless because they're not going to be ready. They're going to be subject to injury. There's going to be all different kind of backdoor things that you're not going to be ready for. You're not going to be expected to because anytime they're going to think they think they're limited, they're going to hold back and there's going to result in injury. So within itself, so the fear of loading and accepting force, transferring force and maximal output within the demands of the sport are extremely important. And that's the biggest thing for me when I ask myself, is this kid ready to go? Is this kid ready to return to sport? Is, can this kid drive maximal force in every capacity that we ask him to, whether it's sprinting, jumping, lifting, and anything in sport mimic, sport mimic and training that we might do, whether it's position conditioning, things like that. Yeah, and I think that at the end of the day, if you can't do the things 
that you deem are going to be the building blocks for those specific things at a high level. And we can get into the technical mastery and all of that on another day, because I think that that's something that people still overlook excessively and they just think about load and outputs, but old man talking. Um, if you're not able to do the building block things and we go too fast to the cutesy specific things, <laughs> you're really, <laughs> pun intended, hamstringing them. Yeah, I mean, abs absolutely. I mean, before you kind of address like a hamstring specifically, like people or people ask me, they look at like some of the return to play stuff I put on paper. They ask when they watch a kid I'm training, they're like, that doesn't look super complicated. And like, it's really not. Sometimes it's, it's really not, especially early on in training. Like, if you ever get a kid to where you can kind of get them to a peaking phase and you keep them for a long time, and there's not a lot of clouded uh, time in your training within people pulling at different strings and affected the training process, then most of the time it's going to be pretty general because, again, you're talking about a detrained athlete that already has a lower training age than what you would expect in the rest of the team. The rest of the team already probably has a young training age. So, again, like the means to the end can be very simple. And, again, it's the details of the coaching and how you're progressing them, what you see, the understanding the load, understanding the outputs, how to get them there. And then when you look at again, like you look at the hamstring specifically, I think a lot of times – a lot of times people are kind of misguided in how they look at it to where they think, okay, this kid can squat, this kid can clean, he's ready to go, okay, cool. But what are the neuromuscular demands of the of the injury itself? Like what do the, what does the athlete need to do if they're an Olympic lifter? Okay, cool, he can squat, he can clean, he can snatch, no pain, he's ready to go. But when you start talking about elite level wide receivers, elite level DBs or running backs, depending on the offense and things like that, like can he handle the demands of the sport, okay? Is he within is he is he within ninety percent of his maximal output? You've seen him on GPS with uh, in terms of max velocity. Can he reach that ninety percent threshold to drive speed? Can he hit that? Because you know a lot of times these kids aren't going to hit it in practice unless there's a freak of a play, and it and it does happen. But the re, the biggest thing I've seen with those guys is repeatability. Can they understand the the volume of practice? Can they understand the intense that that gray area of intensity above that seventy five percent threshold, or really above that eighty five? Those high those HSR those high speed running yardage that you get with a lot of those open open field positions, especially on Tuesdays or on game days yeah, or scrimmages. Yeah. Can they can they handle a lot of those? Um, those are some of the biggest things I see with return to play hamstring specifically is, is the duration, the duration capacity of the hamstring. And can they, can they accept repeatable efforts of the hamstring within sprint practice, especially when you understand the demands of the sport and the demands of your coaching staff, whether they have long practices, um, do they, do they undulate their weeks or do they follow a model? Like, what are they doing? Does your staff like grind these kids in the ground all the time? Does the kid do a ton of extra work on his own that you don't know about? These are all the different things you have to kind of have to ask yourself. Yeah, dude, and I think that that touches on something else that I think is something that people are starting to get a better look at and a better understanding of, and that's, you know, the over-under, right? Like, you have to be able to hit, you know, velocities above what you're going to have to hit in the game because more often than not, I mean, like, like you said, in football, you usually don't hit max V. In, in basketball, you almost never do, but you've got to be able to withstand intensities above and you got to be able to do repeatability work below to build the foundation so that you're able to handle uh, the parameters of practice in the sport and that's just for everybody that's not if you've got an ACL or a shoulder or a back that's just that's training 
Absolutely. And even and beyond just hamstrings, you have to, again, like you said, and again, it's, it's kind of a buzz topic, buzzword of reverse engineer or whatever, but you have to understand the demands of the sport. Is it, is it a slow dogma, middle intensity, gray area sport where there's going to be a ton of volume, not a ton of intensity? They need to be able to withstand that, but they also need to understand the small windows of maximum output they're going to see, especially with football, you think about, okay, with like, we talk about receivers, like they're going to spend a ton more time sprinting and being upright. So they're going to have a ton more high speed yards. You need to send a ton more of lengthened hamstrings and things like that. So they need to be able to withstand that, even if it's sub-maximal outputs uh, under 90%, but at the same time, they need to be able to understand that they need to be able to hit those 90% thresholds under fatigue and under load because of the demands of sport, what they're going to do. And then, you can look at like a like a DB where they're going to spend more time in a pedal. There's going to be a ton more hip flexors, a ton more groins, adductors, things like that, where they're going to be bent over more. But they, okay, so are they going to have those injuries? But at the same time, what happens when they have to turn around with the receiver? Are they prepared enough to be able to hit those high speeds of those velocities and be able to open up when they need to and get tall and get vertical? And these are all questions you have to ask yourself. Are they prepared? Are they prepared for it? Or what, what does a Tuesday practice look like? What does a Wednesday practice look like? What does a fast Friday look like? What does a game day look like? And what is this kid able to handle at the moment? And if he's not able to get where he needs to be, how do we get them? How do we get them there? be able to understand the demands and accept those. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, that even goes back to just the stuff that you would do in the weight room, right? Like we sit here and we look at it, right? And you're talking about a wide receiver, for example. Like they're not going to make a lot of huge hitting actions where they need to be strong and a pressing movement and this, that, and the third. But they're going to have to jam in on a DB. They're going to have to block somebody in the run game. So does that mean you don't bench them much? Like you're not going to try to get these guys strong in their upper body because you don't do it often? Again, it's, it's looking at these top and bottom areas of what their outputs are, right? And, and making sure they're able to go above and below. And I think that people all too often, because I think above can be scary, right? Because that's like high-speed running, heavy lifting, blah, 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 like things people may be afraid of at times. And low is just so tedious that it gets boring, right? It's just repeat, 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 repeat. And I think at the end of the day, that's what's kind of starting to separate people, in, at least in my opinion, is that they're able to touch those high things without putting them in a bad spot. And they have the patience to be able to do the repeatable things over and over and over because they know it's what's best. Well, I think when you when you look at it, it's it's the ebbs and flows of training. You have to understand what's going on, what the desired outputs are, what are the desired traits you're going after. And yeah, sometimes training is boring. Like it, like this, I've as I've heard a lot of people say in the past, it's it's not a strength coach's job, athletic performance job, is to keep the kids occupied and keep them entertained. To say it's the drive output. So first and foremost is the ebbs and flows of training and understanding what are the highs look like, what are the lows look like. Again, what is what are the results? What are what are the what are the trickle down effects of those? What are the residual effects? It's just, whether it's work capacity, explosive strength, all these different things, and what how much how much can we do, or how little can we do to get those effects, and how how we do those? Because again, like you just uh, just like you spoke on, it's training above and training below that's going to help those things, and being able to understand being able to understand those because again, we're chasing desired results and adaptations, and how we get there doesn't matter but as long as we get there we're keeping the kids healthy that's what that's what matters can they 
Are they strong? Are they explosive? Are they reactive? Or do they have high work capacities where they can recover, they can handle handle chronic loads and things like that of, of the sport and what they're doing? All these all these different questions we have to ask ourselves. Are, are we giving them the best opportunity to be successful in their sport? And just like you, uh, and I know before I get on too much of a rant, just like when people are like argue about max velocity, well, football is sub-maximal. Our sport is sub-maximal. We don't open up and sprint. Okay, cool. But like research has shown us through Ken Clark and these other people that max velocity is one, one of the highest outputs of training and neural outputs we can have. The acceleration, the acceleration profile being increased because of max velocities and the accelerate from Ken Clark's research. And you talk about rate coding, motor unit recruitment, all these different things, elastic reactive qualities. Like what do coaches most say for i want a fast explosive agile athlete okay cool how do we get that it's not from squatting heavy the squatting help you help drive some of those those concepts yeah we need to be able to do it for force acceptance and maximal strength that is a part of it but then it's in itself like how like again we're it's it doesn't matter how we get there as long as we get the effects it doesn't matter how we get there as long as we get the effects yes like I think that, you know, and this will probably need to be a rant at some point, but like strength coach Twitter would argue a trillion days to Sunday that that's wrong, but there probably hasn't been a truer thing said. Like no one, like no one cares if you are a believer in wickets or boom booms or extensive running exercises or whatever if your kids are getting faster your kids are getting faster i mean really that's what i mean really it's what it comes down to and it's you know this week we've seen a lot of people arguing on social media and i've talked to my boss about it quite a bit like what's the point of it what's the uh, what's Okay, if, if you're putting the kids at risk and you're putting the, putting health and safety at risk, okay, then you really need to ask yourself, like, am, am, do I need to go work in a construction or do I really need to be a strength coach? Because at first and foremost, like player safety, player health is the number one what we're doing. Like we're trying to keep them out, the ability to play their sport. But again, like it's a means to an end, like how we get there doesn't matter. As long as we're driving output and we're driving injury resiliency and, the, and for them to be competent and confident in their sport and give the sport coaches what they want and our, and our supportive role that we have, that's what matters. At the end of the day, that's all that matters, regardless of what your opinion is and how to get there because everybody's situation is different. What if I want to do snatches, but I have a team full, I inherited a team full of wrist injuries with broken wrists and things like that. My kids can't turn the bar over when they get to a catch. Okay, so how am I going to force a snatch on them? No, because I'm putting them at an adverse risk on the shoulder or the elbow in terms of compensation. Okay, if I do, I really want to Olympic lift. Cool, maybe I'll do some pulls, or can I get the same output doing med ball throws and trap bar jumps and weighted weighted jumps and kettlebell? What, what, however the hell you want to do it. That's the question you have to ask yourself: Is what do I need to get done, and how do I get there with the athletes I have? Because again, everybody's athletes are different. Every situation is different. No doubt, brother. Well, listen, Zach, let me get you out of here on this, homie. Where can people uh, keep up with you and see more of what you're doing down there? So you, they can find me on Twitter. They can find me on Instagram. It should be coach underscore Zach 32. Um, they can email me. Um, my emails should be on our staff director. It should be zhigginbotham at fau.edu. They're more than welcome to email me. Um, if you know me or know somebody that knows me, you can reach out, to, reach out and get my number. I'm not going to be too weirded out if you call me or shoot me a text. I, I enjoy talking to people and learning more. So uh, as long as you just don't order anything in my name and charge, and charge money to my account, I'll be okay. But uh, those probably <laughs> all to me. Awesome, bro. Well, listen, Zach, this is sensational, man. Truly appreciate your time. We'll be in touch real soon. 
Oh, appreciate you, Jay. Yeah, man. Cheers. Thank you. You too.